0: Good morning again, if you would uh, join with me in your Bibles, we will be in Philippians chapter 3 today, we will continue on there and follow along on the screen as well, can't hear me, whoa, how's that, better, all right. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutate the flesh. For we are the circumcised who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, that by, many mean, but that by any means possible I may attend the resurrection from the death. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing i do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead i press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus let those of us who are mature think this way and if anyone if anything you think otherwise god will reveal that also to you only let us hold true to what we have attained brothers "'Join in imitating me and keep your eye on those "'who walk according to the example you have in us. "'For many of whom I have often told you "'and now tell you, even with tears, "'walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. "'Their end is destruction. "'Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame. "'Their minds set on earthly things. "'But our citizenship is in heaven "'and from it we await a Savior.'" the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together here, Lord, and to hear your word and to learn your word and to study your word. Lord God, I just ask that you continue to put anointing on Pastor Jackie this morning, Lord, as he teaches us out of Philippians today, Lord God. I just ask that you open our ears, open our eyes, and open our hearts, Lord God, and may your word just penetrate us. Lord, may, may your word just affect us and change us today, Lord God, and may we leave here different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, that's something. Like the wall of Jericho, that's that's Rahab's that's Rahab's house. That's a part of the wall that doesn't fall. You'll find out if you come to VBS. So, uh, man, people have been working really hard. You see somebody who's a part of VBS or working with uh, uh, all the prep and stuff that has been gone. You know, tell them you appreciate what they've done because it's a lot of hard work and still a lot of hard work to come. This morning as we uh, open up scripture, I want to also remind you uh, to keep uh, the Catrick family prayer. Uh, if you didn't know already, Chuck went home to be with the Lord last week. And uh, so we want to, uh, to keep them lifted up that God would uh, just minister um, his comfort uh, during this time. So, you know, there are... Several folks here, um, are, um, in the last several months, who, uh, women who have lost their husbands. So, um, if you see any of them, you know, it doesn't cost us much to put our arm around our shoulder and to say about them. We can't solve it. There's no magic word you have to take it away, right? If you do tell me, I'll, I'll use it, but what you can do is is uh, just provide a little comfort and uh, a little caring, and uh, tell them you're thinking about them, and uh, and hopefully that will be helpful to them. This morning, as we look at Philippians, we we just read all of chapter three, and I just want to remind you of a couple things because we we want to keep the flow that Paul has established, right? So. Basically, he's telling us now, considering our priorities. Now, he told us our priorities in verse 7. In verse 7, he said, Whatever things I had that I thought were gain, they're worthless. Those things are loss. So he talks to us first, considering our priorities, that all the things that we thought was important, once we found Jesus Christ, we realized, are, are less important. So considering our priorities and our purpose of life, What's our purpose of life? In verse fourteen, he said, "I press on toward the goal, of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." So, so our priorities are to be focused toward the Lord because all the other things are going to leave us unsatisfied. I, my kids think I'm crazy. When I tell my 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 children, you know, that's this thing you think you're going to achieve, that thing you think you're going to arrive at that. The bigger house you buy or the nicer apartment that you rent or the better neighborhood you go to. Or you think that's going to be the thing that's going to really satisfy and, and turn all these things around. And then when you have it, you realize that wasn't it. I guess I need a bigger house or I need a better neighborhood or I need a new place to go or a new place to, to uh, reach out to because you and I were not satisfied by those things. And when we come to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, we come to know the ability of God to change me from the inside out. We discover finally that there's the meaning. There's my purpose. My purpose is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Now we say, maybe we have a disconnect there. Maybe our disconnect is, well, I don't, I don't understand. How do I enjoy God? Well, I'm glad you asked. The same way you enjoy your neighbor, or the same way you enjoy your friends, or the same way you enjoy your family, you get to know them. You read their letters. You, we have a, a, a thousands of people probably every day hundreds of thousands on Facebook looking for the next post somebody wrote. Well, you have those same things written to you. You have those same things provided so that you might know Him in the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, that we might experience that resurrection power in our life. That's transformation. Change the way you think. God will change the way you feel. This is the challenge that Paul's been laying out for us. So in light of our priorities and in light of our purpose in life, he's going to talk about two things we need to do. Two things we need to do. First one, we need to walk properly. Walk properly. Take a look at it. Verse 15, he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. I know you think, man, Jackie keeps pounding on this changing my mind thing. Do you hear that's what he's saying? Those of us who are mature, those who are us just, just in verse 14, he says, not that I've already obtained or am already perfect or mature. I have not arrived. Paul says, I haven't, I haven't hit that final stage of perfection. I haven't. I haven't matured completely. There's still things in my life I need to work on. But this one thing I do, I forget about all those things in the past and I strain forward. I reach out. I pursue Christ. That requires me to change the way I think because you cannot pursue Christ and make your life's pursuit everything else at the same time it won't happen for a long time when Kathy and I first got married you know i i never really pursued being a good husband mostly i pursued being a butthead. and i did fully obtain that i think and probably was perfected in it but there came a time in our marriage where I decided, you know what, I need to pursue being a better husband. I need to pursue having the relationship I'm supposed to have. So I try and I have a list of things I'm going to work on, right? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to be so sarcastic. I'm going to, be, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be funny without being rude. You know, whatever. All these things that I'll try to work on. But what I discover is, what I've learned is, whether it's to be a better husband or a better father or a better neighbor or a better friend or a better employee or a better employer, if I pursue Christ, that's what I become. When I pursue Christ, I am the husband I need to be. When I pursue Christ, I am the father I need to be. Why? Because it's Christ who is transforming me. Because now I'm not pursuing all these other things. He doesn't, he's, he's challenging me, saying, Jackie, you don't have to make your life's pursuit that you're going to make more money than your neighbor. What you need to do is make your life's pursuit, seeking after me. Isn't that what this Bible says? You probably read it once or twice in Matthew. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be, how's it go? Oh, did you get the idea? Change the way I think. And God's going to change the way I feel. But as long as we're battling between two masters, as long as we're having this fight within us, and we think, well, I know I really should want the Lord, but I don't really, I don't really want to. But I, I want all these other things. Then you'll pursue, and you'll chase, and you'll run. And Isaiah said this. He said, why do you spend so much money on all this stuff that won't satisfy Why do you dig out a cistern to hold water and all it does is leak? Because he knows that all of our other pursuits, they all end the same way. They all end the same way with a a man or a woman toward the end of their life wondering, what did I just spend my life doing? But if I... Do the other. This is what Paul is challenging. Change the way you think. If you pursue Christ. Then you will experience. Victory in these other areas of your life. If you want him. That's what he wants. Look there's not. A woman in here. Or a man if he's willing to be honest. That doesn't want. To be wanted. By somebody who doesn't want to have someone, uh, a, a friend, or someone who who honestly cares about you and knows you, and that's the exact same language God uses in Scripture when He says, "Know Me, know Me, be faithful to Me." These are all things we understand. They're all things that we can comprehend. So let those of us who are mature think this way. Change the way we think. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So we want to understand this idea of maturity. Then, then let's think a little bit about what does what immaturity look like in, in terms of what God's talking about. In Hebrews chapter 5, 11-14, writer of Hebrews uh, lays out for us kind of this idea. What, what's, it, what's immature? Sometimes knowing the opposite, right, helps us. What, what, what does he want me to be? Well, about this, he says in verse 11, Hebrews 5, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. There's a direct correlation from the writer of Hebrews to the comprehension or knowledge of the word of God with maturity or immaturity. He says you become dull of hearing. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. I still, after more than 25 years in ministry, I still... Get excited when I discover something in Scripture that I didn't understand before. Something just blossoms. Something opens up. Still get excited. There's a pursuit to know Him. Not that I've already attained or imperfected. You you don't reach a point where you master uh, you master the subject. You reach a point where you master the desire for the subject the master of the desire to know him here the writer of hebrews says you don't you don't know the word you're unskilled in the word of righteousness now here's a problem there's there is a a reality in the church today where where people it's kind of scary because there are people who are so sure that they've mastered something and they totally understand and comprehend it and they've got it nailed down and then they shut the door and they're Ears are utterly closed. And it's the craziest thing to watch. Because every once in a while, I'll, I'll catch a rant. Or I'll catch somebody talking about something. I try not to ever talk on Facebook because it makes me crazy. I'm like this close to putting my phone in a pond somewhere and going back to writing letters. So, but when we, we look at it and we go, man, you have people who have this idea that they fully understand this subject and there's nothing left about this subject for me to learn and that arrogance comes across in a hostile attitude keyboard warriors shouting one another down why can't why why can't we just talk what happened to that i don't know what social media developed in people but it all of a sudden, you're the bravest person you've ever known as long as that keyboard's on your lap. And then, but, but in order to take five minutes and stop writing all this stuff or take 20 minutes to stop gossiping on, on the phone to somebody and just go to the person, go talk to them. That's what people do who understand, who are skilled in the word of righteousness. Doesn't mean we're perfect or righteous. It just means we're willing to pursue <clears throat> that we that we stop all that crazy. Yeah, I get maybe maybe somewhere, someday, somebody's gonna stand up in church and say, I got saved on Facebook. Reading somebody's rant about something. But I'm having a hard time buying it right now. And because of it, we've forgot how to just talk to somebody. Just talk. It's okay to say, you know, I'm frustrated about this. Or I don't understand this concept. Or Jackie said something in a message and, man, I don't, I don't really know where he's coming from. Well, hallelujah, that's what Mondays are for. All you got to do is show up at coffee. Sit down at the table. Trust me, there's other people who do it. Sit down at the table and say, what did you say? This is Here's the Bible, show me. Because that's the only thing that really matters, right? right so we want to we want to grow up we want to become mature we want to become people who understand look what it says at the end of hebrews 5:14 solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant what did it say practice those who listen their powers of discernment trained by what constant practice not, you know what, I talk to him and he just won't see things my way. So that's it. I'm done. Well, I don't think that's how that's supposed to work. We have, we have discernment trained by constant practice. It means we sit down and we talk to one another. And if it doesn't work, we talk again. If it doesn't work, we talk Again. If it doesn't work, we talk again. At no point do we then grab our ball and say, that's it, I'm going home. Why? What was your goal? I thought goal was peace with one another. I thought goal was to come to a deeper understanding of what we're trying to understand. Right? Or was the goal to be right? Is that the most important part? Because I don't know if we'll find that in the book. Hey, if you can't, if the guy won't think you're right, grab your ball, run away, go home. He's saying, listen, I want you to walk properly. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, look, he says, God's going to work in you. Do you believe that it is God's both to will and to do for his good pleasure? Do you believe God's working in your life? What about the other person? You think God's working in their life? What about the person behind you? Think God's working in their life? So if God's working in our life and he wants to develop us and train us, if we're pursuing him, what's going to happen? You're going to grow. You just got to stick with the program. You just got to work God's purpose, pursuing Christ. He says, not only do we need to to walk uh, properly, Not only do we want to do that, which includes this idea of changing the way we think so that we become more mature, learning more about God. But we also need to um, think a little differently about some things. Look at what verse 16 says. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What is it that he's referring to? Let us hold true or hold fast to what we have attained. He wants us to think correctly. He wants us to think correctly in accordance with Scripture. Now, here's some things that maybe sometimes people talk about. There's a lot of confusion when it comes to the Word of God, primarily because of YouTube and the ease for which anybody can wear a tie, stand in front of a camera, put it on YouTube, and 50,000 people will give him a thumbs up because he said what they like. And now that must be true, right? Is that If you're going to define truth by what you see on uh, YouTube, Fox, CNN, whatever TV documentary you watch, look, everybody's a spin doctor. I want to attain the truth. I want to grow up. I want to walk properly. I want to think correctly. There is one ultimate, and that is the Word of God. Anything else is subjective and therefore cannot be an ultimate authority. Do you understand what I mean? So I had a discussion with somebody a while back, and, and then later on Family Camp I had another, a similar discussion, so I know that this idea is still out there. But the idea is that, you know, when the apostles were busy doing their things, Paul and Peter and James and John, they didn't have a Bible. They just had the Holy Spirit. And so they had the function based on whatever the Holy Spirit said. Is that true? That is not true. I don't care how much you say it on YouTube. I don't care how many times you post it. It don't make it true. The word of God existed. What do you think Jesus taught? It says he went around teaching the word of God. Did the word of God exist for them? Yes, it most certainly did. Was the scriptures there? Absolutely they were. What about the New Testament? Yeah, it was there too. It's the craziest thing. It's not like Paul did all his ministry, retired and wrote a bunch of books and put it in a Bible. Paul wrote his epistles as he ministered. And when he wrote them, did he say, these are scripture? He did. He most certainly did. Did he When he wrote them, did he say, God is giving me wisdom to declare to you? Absolutely he did. Why? Because he is an apostle. That's why that title is important. There could only be 12 of them. Why? Because the desire of an apostle was someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. Not someone who's telling you what someone else says. Someone who can tell you what they saw. We saw him. We walked around with him for three years. There were a specific group of guys that Jesus chose, wasn't there? One of those betrayed him. Then there's another one who's brought on to take his place. And then God reaches out and and calls Paul. So you end up with Paul and 12 other guys who are apostles and have authority. And what they gave us is what we have as a New Testament. And all of that. The last book was finished in 95 AD. 95 AD, John was still alive. So when someone says to you, oh, you know, they didn't get the Bible all worked out till almost 100 AD. John was still alive. That's an eyewitness. An eyewitness to Jesus Christ who walked with him and talked with him. Could he have stood up and said, hey, this is all bogus? Yeah. Did he? No. He did the opposite. He did the opposite. No, we have the things that we need to have to think correctly. Peter said this, 2 Peter 3, 2. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Who delivered to the church in that first century the word of God. And because we have 12,800 extant manuscripts in Greek. That doesn't count Latin and all the other languages. Because we have that we can look at it and say look this is still the thing they had. This is still the thing they had. We want to think correctly. How do I think correctly? I have one objective foundation of authority that's the word of god what do i mean because when people talk about the spirit the spirit is subjective do you know that the spirit is subjective because one guy can say the spirit told me this and another guy can say the spirit told me that and i don't know how to tell which one is right unless i line it up with the ultimate authority when I line it up with the ultimate authority, it will tell me. I don't think the Spirit told you that. Does that make sense? Because that's it. How will I know? How do I know that the Spirit talked to me? Because I got goosebumps? Do I know the Spirit talked to me because I get real excited or I weep or I cry? Because all those things happen when the Spirit talks to you. I know the Spirit talks to me because I know the sound of His voice. I know what He says because I know what the Word of God says. So when he talks to me, I go, oh, man, that's the Lord. He is expressing his will in my life. And I I want to be obedient. And look here, it lines up with what God's word says. It may not line up with what you want to do. But it will line up with God's word. We need to change the way we think. There are things in the word of God I'd like to go, man, I wish we could cut that out. But I can't. I am not an apostle. I have no authority. I have authority to teach, to look, to study, to know. But there are no more apostles. There are no more eyewitnesses to the glory of God who were there at his crucifixion and saw his resurrection. They're all dead now. We have what they've left us. Second Peter three, fifteen and sixteen says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved uh, beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Anybody ever found Paul hard to understand? So did Peter. Which the ignorant, listen, and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the What? You hear what he's saying? He's saying Paul is writing Scripture. And people try to twist it because sometimes it's difficult to comprehend. Because the Word of God, guys, the Word of God is given to us as meditative literature. You understand what that means? It's not intended to be like an instructional uh, thing for putting together a playground. Right, you buy a playground, you get the box, you open the box, got all these pieces. I don't know where all these pieces go. So I go, oh, it goes A B C D, right? They they got it all written out, but on the other side it's they got a quick one. For cuz they know guys aren't going to read A B C D. So they go to the quick one, the quick one, just show me the picture. Okay, there's a picture and we start putting things together. And we think the word of God's supposed to work like that, but the word of God is meditative. It means you're supposed to chew on it. You're supposed to go, what does that mean? You're supposed to get down into it and squeeze it and turn it and twist it and do all this stuff so that you can say, what is he saying? How does this line up? How does this work? And then our ultimate authority, when we come up to an interpretation, will agree with what the word of God says. Right? We need to think. Change the way we think. We need to think correctly. If, if you have a thought that is in opposition to the Word of God, which one's wrong? But it's not a trick question. <laughs> if I have to start over, I'm never going to get through this. If I have a thought and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, my I'm thinking Incorrectly. How can I know if I'm thinking incorrectly by studying the word of God? And I look at what God's word says and I, oh man, I'm, I always think it's bad when there's somebody in scripture. Like if we take, for example, Job and we're, we're reading Job and at the end of Job, God tells uh, Job that all his friends are wrong. And then when I get to the end of Job, if, if I was on the side of all his friends, I go, oh, that's not good. I'm thinking wrong. I need to think right. And I think right by allowing my mind, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let this mind be in you. Let the mind. Let this be the way we think as mature men and women. Listen to what Paul said, 1 Corinthians two seven. He says, "But we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages, before the ages, for our glory. God has decreed this secret, hidden wisdom." Verse ten. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 12, he goes on. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we, the apostles impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths with those that are spiritual. The church from day one had Scripture from the apostles, was delivered to them. We have it on our laps today. Let us think correctly. Is the Holy Spirit vital? Absolutely. He's our power. He's he's our energy. He's, He's the one that leads us in truth, right, as we are searching the Scripture and thinking about how I think. If I think this thought, Is that in line with God? When I look at God's word, it doesn't seem like it is. Right? You get what I say? That's the spirit working in us. When we read the word or we sing a song and we break down and we start weeping, that's the Holy Spirit working on a heart that's too hard. And he begins to crack it up. And you can't even understand why. And you're hoping nobody's looking. Oh, crying in church again. This is so dumb. That's the Holy Spirit. We need a Holy Spirit? Absolutely need a Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But the the anchor to objective truth is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. If I want to think correctly, then I have to think according to what the Word of God lays out for us. Then, not only... Do we see this? We also want to have caution. Look what he says in verse 17 of Philippians 3. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he says, we want to walk right. We want to have some caution. We want to follow the right examples. Far too many people are not following the right examples. We we want to follow people we see on TV. Maybe we want to follow people who have lots of jets and they're sure that God has given them all this money. Maybe we want to follow all of that stuff because we have weird desires sometimes too, right? But we need to follow right examples. People who are following Christ. That's why he says, that's why Paul says, follow me, I'm following Christ. Come along with me, I'm, I'm following him. And then he says, and look for others who do the same. Look for people who are following Christ, who are pursuing Him. And make those people your goal. We all probably know people who aren't. nobody's, Nobody's saying, you know, shun that. I'm just saying, you want to make the person you want to imitate the one who is following Christ. But not only do we want to follow the right examples in verse 17, but look at... The scripture lays out for us in verse 18 and 19. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even in tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with set on earthly things. So we want to follow the right examples, not people who are wrong. We know whether or not something we have discernment because we're going to practice using discernment. And we our discernment grows because we're anchored to the word of God. And the anchor to the word of God is that foundation of truth. So we hold on to that. It's not very long before you start looking at some of the teachers. Maybe you're following or listening to and you go, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right. So what do we do search the scriptures find out if it's not maybe stop following that follow right examples but not only follow right examples but forsake the enemies of the cross forsake them that doesn't mean forsake someone who disagrees with you you know the difference between someone who disagrees with you and an enemy of the cross that's a sharp line. That's a sharp distinction. One guy might say, you know, but he has a, a particular preference, preference A. Another guy has preference B. Preference B is not the enemy of the cross because it's different than preference A. An enemy of the cross is an enemy of Jesus Christ. A person is not a wolf because they struggle with ideas of Soteriology. What did he just say? A person is not a wolf because they think about salvation in different terms. They're trying to struggle through. How did God save me? And if you can say to me, you know, I got that all figured out. I will say for 2000 years, the church has been fighting over some of these things and they don't got it all figured out yet. That's not an enemy of the cross. That's my brother. ...who is pursuing Christ and trying to grow. Anybody ever struggle with the Trinity? Let's pick that one. Oh no, I've got the Trinity all figured out. Wow, hallelujah! You probably got it all figured out on YouTube, didn't you? There was a meme on Facebook, got it all squared away for you. The reality is, we ought to be struggling through to understand and comprehend those issues... And when there's two of us that are are on a different side of the issue and we're thinking differently about it, we should talk. Maybe something I know will help him. Maybe something he knows will help me. But here's the thing. We're not enemies of the cross because we're both pursuing knowing Christ. Does that make sense? Knowing Christ. We want to know him. We're pursuing him. Him. An enemy of the cross, that's thats somebody that the Scripture describes for us in Philippians 3.18. In verse 19, I'm sorry, it says, Their end is destruction. Who is their God? Their God is their belly. Doesn't mean they're fat. They're, yeah, hallelujah, right? All those fat people breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> Their God is their belly. It means their own desire. Selfish ambition. Wanting to climb that ladder of success. I don't, I don't really care about Christ at all. I just want to get to be the top dog. God is my belly, my desire, my ambition. God is their belly and they glory in their shame. And sometimes people follow the wrong people. And they spend all their time doing a particular thing to the church. They create what is called schismata. And it makes the church fracturous. And the fracturous church spends all her time Fighting with herself. Which is perfect. Because then she spends no, none of her time. Being salt and light. In a world that needs a savior. We fracture over everything. It's hilarious. It's, it's, it's crazy. We fracture over the dumbest stuff. And then we build the wall and we say, those guys are the enemy of the cross. Yeah. That pastor over there has a Harley. You should not go to that church. That guy, he doesn't even know what he's doing with his hair all the time. Sometimes it's shaved, sometimes a ponytail. He's got a beard. He doesn't have a beard. Obviously, he can't make up his mind who he is. Just stay away from him. We fracture over all kind of stuff. But it's the word of God, the ultimate authority of the word of God that's supposed to bind us together. And when we disagree in areas that matter there, then we don't build up a wall. We come together and we, we discuss it. That's when you'll know an enemy of the cross. Because an enemy of the cross, he doesn't care about reconciliation. Reconciliation. Enemy of the cross, he doesn't care about seeing the body, the schismata repaired and the body being blended back together. When the body of Christ is divided, who bleeds? It's just not good. Paul says, it causes me to weep because at his time, even in his time, which was early in the church, right? So just in case we're wondering, you know, oh, we've screwed up the church so much in these 2,000 years. No, we started screwed up. You know why we started screwed up? Because it's made of people. We're screwed up. Don't we get offended over weird things? Come on, be honest. Don't we get offended over weird things? And we get mad and we don't want to talk and we don't. Yeah, this is not new. It's not new. So if I want to have victory over that, I change the way I think. I'm not on the throne. Jesus Christ is. I don't want to go talk to them, but Jesus Christ tells me to. I don't want to get over this hurt in my life. but Jesus Christ tells me to forgive. No, Jesus Christ tells me to, Oh, the ultimate authority is calling me to a higher walk. And Paul says, change the way you think, think correctly. Think according to the word of God, Mark those who are following Christ and follow like they follow. And look at those who are enemies of the cross, causing division, dividing the body of Christ. Don't follow them. Romans 16, 17 and 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Okay. So... I have four minutes to unpack some things. Yeah. 12 is okay. What if I, what if I do 20? Okay. So I just, want to, um, I just want us to get it, okay? I just want us to get this idea. So so he's saying, look, I, I want you to note those who cause divisions contrary to the doctrine that's been given to you. That's contrary to the Word of God. The doctrine that was given to you is not Calvinism. The doctrine that was given to you is not Arminianism. The doctrine that was given to you is is not any other ism that I can't currently think of right now. It's none of that. The doctrine that was given to you is the Word of God. If it's contrary to the Word of God, that's the ultimate authority. Does that make sense? So we get offended over our doctrines because we think, my doctrine is right. I grew up in a church, and this is what that church taught me, and so this is what the Bible says. You sure? What we want to do is we want to come together, discuss it, and let the Word of God decide, not my system. Does that make sense? I think everybody's okay with that, right? So he says, mark those guys who cause divisions, create obstacles, contrary to what the Bible teaches, what the Word of God teaches. Avoid them, for they're they're not serving the Lord Christ." If someone says, nope, you need to come follow me, put that book away. We don't need that. The Bible was written 2,000 years ago. Put that book away. Just listen to what I say. Come and follow me. We're going to go to a faraway land. And when we all get there, I'm going to give you all Kool-Aid. Does that ever happen? And what was, what was the goal of all that? It was the same goal that the devil always has. To do what? Destroy. What did he do? He destroyed. Do you get it? Hold fast to the word of God. Colossians says this. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, th- seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. Now, sometimes people Interpret that by saying, well, what God wants us to do is think about what heaven's going to be like. And we'll be so excited to get there and to be there that we'll forget about all this other stuff. And that's not at all what he's talking about. He's saying, change the way you think. Stop thinking like people on earth. Think, think like Christ. Isn't that what Paul just said in Philippians chapter two? Let this mind be in you, which was where in Christ Jesus, your Lord Think like Him. Set your mind on heaven doesn't mean think about the clouds and the stars. You you can do that. But what it means is change the way you think. Think like Christ thinks. Submit to what Christ says. Bow. He's the sovereign, He is God. I don't get to argue with him. No, Lord, I don't want to do it. I say it all the time. He says, Jackie, I want you to go do this. No, Lord, I don't want to. But you know what? He's never said, I, didn't, I, I, I only want you to do what you want, Jackie. Is that what you tell your children? When your children are having a fit, they don't want to do something. You just say, well, little Johnny, just do whatever you want. Is that what you do? When our children want to do things that that are in opposition to what we're telling them, what are we looking for from them? We're looking for obedience. Obedience. Change the way you think. Think like Christ thinks. Put your mind on heavenly things. Mark those, right? For a good example, follow them. Forsake those who are enemies. Breaking, dividing. The body of Christ. We want to mark those who are moving in a right direction. We want to walk properly. And the last thing is we want to wait patiently. Wait patiently. What are we waiting for? It says in verse 20 our citizenship is in heaven. You know what that word literally is? The word citizenship? Our politics is in heaven. Our politic is in heaven. Our politic, we have a sovereign. We have a king. Our king is the savior for whom we await. From it we await a savior. The Lord. That word Lord means king or sovereign. The almighty. The Lord Jesus Christ. So what's he saying? We are waiting patiently for what? Our politic is in heaven. Our government, the government that we're longing for is in heaven. The rule that we're longing for is heavenly rule. The, the thing we're waiting for is the return of the king. Because at the return of the king, all the stuff that drives us crazy is going to be dealt with. The master came to his people and he gave to each of them a mina. And he went away for a long time. And one day the master came back. And he called all those servants to give an account. Our politic is in heaven. Our focus, our citizenship. We are subjects to the kingdom that Jesus Christ talked about when he stood there before Pontius Pilate and he said... If my kingdom were on earth, then my people would. Our politic is in heaven. We do it Jesus way. We do it Jesus way. We bow the knee to him. He He called me to love my enemy. Do good to those who hate me. I don't want to. But I didn't ask you. This is what he called us to. But I want to be able to do that. It's so hard to do that. Well, that's why He gave you the Spirit, so that you're able to do it. So I have that Holy Spirit, and I want to have the desire. Then I change the way I think. And God puts His desire in my heart. Delight in the law of the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. That doesn't mean He gives you what you want. That means He puts His desire in your heart. This is what God is doing. We're waiting wait. I can't wait till Jesus comes back. I'm not looking to get away f- from anything. I'm looking to see the King. I want to see the king rule and reign. I want to see the King. I'm waiting for him. We eagerly await the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. and then that what it says in Titus 2.13? Jesus told us in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. We get to be with him. Acts 1.11 says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who you saw taken up is coming back the same way you saw him go king is coming king is coming he's given all his servants a mina grace faith relationship with God doesn't matter what you describe the mina as or the talent doesn't make any difference he's given to all his servants something and when the king comes back there's an accounting what'd you do with what I gave you were you looking for my return Were you waiting for me for one day? First Thessalonians 416 says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And then all the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him to be with him forever. doesn't matter when it happens. doesn't matter. we, We can sit down and argue and go build four other churches for the four different views of when that happens. But that's what the enemies of Christ would do. Lovers of Christ will find a way to work together through the doctrine, through the issues, making the word of God ultimate and doing our best to utilize the word of God to understand one another. Why? Because we're waiting for a promise. What promise are we waiting for? Did you see it? We're waiting for this promise. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I'm ready to trade up. I I might have abused this one and I would like another, please. What's the promise? He's here's the promise. I, I'm making a joke. Maybe it's bad, but here, here's the promise. He's going to make me like him. He's going to make me like him. I, I'm going to, I'm going to lose some of the weakness I have in the flesh. The struggle with sin. I'm going to lose that. I'm not going to miss that at all. I want to be transformed Physically. That's what it's talking about. When the king returns, he's going to transform us physically. And all the limitations are gone. All those things are taken away. I don't become uh, become another Yahweh. There's only one of those. I become like him. When man was created in the garden, God said, let us make man in our Image. The image of God has been effaced in the fall. But one day when the king returns, it's going to be perfected. I'm going to be like him. Like it was supposed to be in the beginning. Everybody with me? I'm going to be, He's going to transform me. I want to be changed. Don't you want to be changed? I want to be a new creation. I want to be all these things that God's word. So I'm waiting for the promise. And while I'm waiting for the promise... That means I'm also waiting for the person because he's the promise. Jesus Christ. I'm waiting for him. Look what it says. It says, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Who is the king? Jesus. How many things are all things? That's all things, right? So if all things are in subject are subject to him, then he's the king. He's the Sovereign. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. I want Him. I want His rule. I want my life to be conformed, not into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind, changing the way I think, so that I can become like Him. I want to be like Him. I want to see the earth be what the earth was meant to be. I want to see all the relationships that mankind has to be the relationship they were meant to be, not the poison we have now. So I want to walk properly and I want to wait patiently because I know everything in my life, all the stuff I amassed, is just loss. But Christ is the focus. So if I focus my eyes on Christ and I head toward Him, I change the way I think and I'm pursuing Christ, all these other things are added in behind and I want to see the King. That's heaven. I want to see Him. I want to see Him rule in my life. I want to see Him rule in your life. Because when we do, here's what we'll see. We'll see zealots and tax collectors and fishermen united for one purpose. We ever seen that before? Yeah, the last time Jesus was here, right? And he gathered his disciples and we're all different. Zealots hate tax collectors. Fishermen hate everybody. They got, they got those guys. Why did they, all, did they all work together? Because now they all think exactly the same? No. They all got together because there was one authority. Who was the authority? Jesus Christ. Well, he's the ultimate. When he comes, hallelujah, all the things we know in part will be done away with. We'll have that which is perfect. But until that time, he's given us his word. And we want to be united behind that until we see the king. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, as we just come to you this morning, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray we really are, are understanding the message that Paul is laying out for us of how we grow, how we can have joy, how we can turn away from the things that have bound us up. Because our minds are earthly and we need them to be heavenly. Because our focus is earthly and we need our focus heavenly. We need to pursue You. We need to pursue You. There's so many things that distract us. Sickness distracts us. Disease distracts us. Relationships with people and rude things that we've said or done that distracts us. And I can find my mind not being heavenly, not being the mind of Christ, but rather being a mind of a knucklehead on earth who's, who's wanting to isolate and who's wanting to separate and who's wanting to see division in the body of Christ. I need to make my mind focus on the heavenly, to see your face. That's why Paul didn't get distracted if he did, he said, I forget those things which lie behind and I press on. I am moving toward the Lord. I haven't already achieved all the things I want in my life. I, I know I, I, I want to live my life out for the Lord God Almighty. I want to uh, totally walk with Him. but haven't reached it yet, but I want to pursue it. Pursue so many things to pursue in life and in the United States of America we are the center of excess God I need to pursue you I need to go after you like a hungry man wants to lay hold Lord I I need to go after you because you'll make my relationships make sense I need to go after you, Lord, because you'll make my sickness make sense. I need to go after you, Lord, because you make my struggles make sense. If I'm the authority, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I falter. I fail. Because at the beginning, mankind stood before God who said, I'll tell you right from wrong. And he said, no, I'd rather tell myself. I declare my independence from you. And since we don't know, we struggle right and wrong. So you gave us your word. Doesn't doesn't solve every question there is. Just, Just helps me keep my focus. Keep my focus on you, Lord. Follow you. Do the things you taught. Do the things you taught. Be the man you call me to be. Be the woman or the child that you call them to be. Because we pursue you. Change the way I think so that I think about you. Because that's the key to my joy. That's the key to my rejoicing. That's the key to my celebration. So, God, by your spirit and through the truth of your word, bring us to understanding. Unite us in truth, and may we be men and women hungry to understand and know the truth. And then, Lord, make us effective. I see people with no hope. Make us effective because we've learned what it is to love one another. So it's easy to love people outside. Make us effective because we walk in the power of your spirit. Make us effective, God, because we want to be transformed. We want to be like you. God, hear the cry of your people as we look to you this morning. Lord, if there be anyone here today heavy of heart or issue that needs prayer, I pray, Lord, that they come forward for prayer as there'll be people up front to pray with them. If we walk out those doors, God, I pray we take you with us wherever we go. I pray, Lord, that our pursuit of you hounds us all week so we can be gathered together again. So Lord, we seek Your blessing, Your anointing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.